Hey, this is Andrew DiMazio, lead pastor of Rose Church here in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to our podcast. Our mission here at Rose is building big people, becoming like Jesus in community while growing in our faith. Whoever you are, wherever you are, I pray today's message challenges you and encourages you on your walk with Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy today's podcast. We're going to jump into the Word this morning, and um, if you are new today, uh, maybe you're watching some loved ones get baptized. We're having people get baptized all day today, and so if you're here watching someone get baptized, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, We started a brand new series last Sunday called Runaways, but we're talking uh, about the book of Jonah. Uh, We are going verse by verse through the entire book of Jonah, and last week we did it. Last week we got through all of chapter one, all 17 verses. We got through all of chapter one Uh, last week. Today we're going to go verse by verse through all of chapter two. And um, I know a lot of you uh, talk to me afterward and uh, DM me or saw you after church or, you know, talk to friends and connect with all kinds of stuff. I know last week uh, was, was a gut punch for many of us. Um, the best compliment I've ever received after a sermon is a girl came up to after church and was like, hey, you need the lawyer up. I'm going to sue you for assaulting my soul today during that sermon. Uh, today was very aggressive toward my soul and I need to change. Um, so I know last week was a very big, like, look in the mirror talking about Jonah chapter one. And just by way of introduction, if you missed it, we went through all of Jonah chapter one that uh, God has called us. God has challenged us to go. God has challenged us to respond to this call. But as many of us can identify with Jonah, many times we go the opposite way. Many times we run not to Nineveh, we run to Tarshish. We run the opposite way of what God wants us to do. We spent all of chapter one talking about that gap between the call of God and where we run to and where we go and how we respond. If you remember last week, chapter one, verse 17, the very last verse is when Jonah got thrown off the ship and the fish swallowed Jonah. That's where we ended last week. And once again, I know for many of you, I'm ruining the book of Jonah because VeggieTales has lied to you. And the little children's books that we read uh, do not tell us truthfully what's going on in the book of Jonah. It has nothing to do with the fish, has nothing to do with the whale, has nothing to do with all the little kids' story that we think it is. It has to do with someone that is called to do something and who rebels and runs away and what happens and how many of us can relate to that, that we've also spent days and hours and weeks running from what God wants us to do. And so that was kind of chapter one. If you missed it, I would really, really encourage you. Obviously, I can't recap all 17 verses, but I'd really, really encourage you to jump online on YouTube, uh, podcast, whatever, Jonah chapter one. But here we go, Jonah chapter two. I'm gonna read from the ESV version. There is a Bible there right in front of you. If you wanna grab that, the one right in front of you in the pew is an ESV version as well. Um, as normal, if you don't own a Bible or don't have one, that one's yours. Take it. If you need a Bible, you can grab that one. Um, we're going to read from the ESV version. I usually read from NLT, but we're going to read from ESV during this, during this series, which is more word-for-word translation from the Greek to English. So here we go. Jonah chapter 2, you ready? Okay, the, the other 300 of you, hopefully you're ready outside. The seven of you said yes. Are, are you ready to go? There we go. All right, here we go. Jonah chapter 2. We're going to go verse by verse and Um, Once again, if you're kind of newer to our church, I'm going to read a verse, read two, three verses, stop, talk about it. So we'll read, stop, read, stop. So here we go. Jonah chapter two and verse one. So once again, he got swallowed by the fish. He's in the belly of the fish. They've thrown him off board. And now we pick up in the belly of the fish. It says this in Jonah chapter two and verse one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Okay, let's pause right there. We're one verse in. The first verse of chapter two, so he's disobeyed, he's ran from God, 
He's brought an entire storm upon the ship that he's on. The sailors find out who brought the storm. Jonah says, well, just throw me off. And they're like, well, we're going to. They throw him off board. They tell God, this is not our fault. This is you. We're going to throw this guy off board. They throw him off. And then a big fish comes and swallows him. The first sentence of Jonah chapter 2 with him in the belly of the fish, it finally says that then Jonah prayed to his God in the belly of the fish. Now, if you were here last week, that one sentence should trigger memory of Jonah chapter 1. Why? Because what happened in Jonah chapter 1? Do you remember? He's down in the bottom of the boat sleeping. He's passed out. The captain of the ship comes to the bottom of the boat and picks him up and says, hey, we're all dying. You need to wake up and pray to your God. We've all prayed to ours. We've all shotgun heaven with all the gods that we can think of. None of these gods are stopping the storm. So you need to wake up and come pray to your God. Do you remember, does Jonah wake up and pray to God? No. He refuses to pray to God. While he's awake and alive and somewhat doing well, they go, will you pray to your God? He was like, no, I will not. I would rather you throw me off board then pray to my God. They do throw him off board. He gets swallowed by a fish. He's in the belly of a fish in the middle of the ocean. And what's the first verse we read in Jonah chapter two? Then Jonah. Pray. You, should, you should laugh because it's funny. <laughs> then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Why? Because for some of us, we don't want to pray when people ask us. We want to pray when life takes us to the bottom of our life. See, he doesn't pray because all of his friends and the sailors go, will you please pray? Will you, will you please pray? He goes, no, I'm not praying. There is something about our life that when we hit the bottom, life gets us to pray. Requests don't. I can preach on prayer for nine straight weeks and you'd be like, nah, I don't really want to pray. Don't feel like it. I don't really like this series. I don't want to hear about prayer for nine weeks in a row. But then let life happen. Let life swallow you whole and feel like you are on your way down, 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 and then watch something arise. Oh, I need to start praying. Why? Because life has a way of bringing us to our knees because we truly don't pray out of coercion. We truly pray out of desperation. We can't be coerced. I can preach on prayer. We can sing about prayer. We can go into a time of prayer right now. And if you are not in a spot of desperation, a spot of I need God, prayer's optional. Prayer's optional for those on boats. Prayer's not optional for those dying in the middle of the sea swallowed by life. It's interesting how prayer becomes non-optional when you have no other options. But when you're up top on the boat, we have some other options, don't we? Well, I could try to row back. I can try to get on a different boat. And how many of us, just like Jonah, we try to get all of our options in the line, trying to get back to shore. But once we know we have no other options and life has swallowed us whole, look, the first thing that Jonah does, hey, can you pray? Absolutely not. Throws off boat, swallowed. Hey, Lord, um, I, I would like to talk to you now. Why? Because life does that to us all. Life has a way, not, not, we, don't, we don't truly pray out of coercion, out of request. 
We pray out of necessity. We pray out of desperation. Why? What many authors would call this, and, and if you look in the Old Testament, that, that term swallowed up. Every time it's used, it's about an army swallowing up a nation or a army swallowing up another army. Every time that word in Hebrew swallowed up, every time it's referenced, it's about death. It's about something ending. It's like, oh, life swallowed us up or this army swallowed us up. It's a term of death. Why? What many authors and scholars would call this is the dark night of the soul. It's when life is over. It's when you see no way out. It's when, when you've ran out of options. It's when you've knocked on every single door that you know how and none are opening. It's when you have tried everything you humanly know how or even theologically know how or financially know how or relationally know how. This is what many scholars call the dark night of the soul. In other words, it's the worst season of your life. Is what? In the belly of the fish. It's when you think life has completely consumed you. And by the way, if you have not been there yet, not to be the doomsday preacher, but there's gonna come a day. There's gonna come a moment. There's gonna come a night when you feel like life has swallowed you whole and there's no way out. And in that moment, you are greatly learning something about yourself. Who is the first person you turn to? Who is the first thing you turn to? What is your first option when you feel like this is, this is it? This is it for our marriage. This is it for our business. This is it for my health. This is it for this relationship. This is it for our finances. This is what? The dark night of the soul. And if you have not had one yet, either you're 11 <laughs> or life is just, it's coming. Not because God's awful. It's because we live in a broken world yes. with broken people. And life touches us all. None of us are escaped. None of us get out. There's no Pasco and collect $200 in this. We are all gonna have a moment of Jonah's life, of we are engulfed, we are swallowed by life, and what does Jonah do? The first person he turns to is say, God, I'd like to talk now. I know I didn't wanna talk to you last year, but I wanna talk now. I know I didn't wanna talk to you last season, but I wanna talk now. I know when I was at 17, I don't want to talk, but now I want to talk. Well, because life has a way of bringing us down to the very core of our being. And usually, hopefully, God is the person we turn to, I, I want to talk now. I want to talk now. Why? Because every, every one of us are going to have this moment that we need to ask, who do we turn to? Where do we go? And God wants to not be your last resort. He wants to be your first option of the person that you turn to. And this is the thing about the dark night of the soul, about this moment that life engulfs us. None of us want it. None of us are praying for it. And if you are, we need to go to counseling. <laughs> None of us want the worst season of our life. None of us want life to engulf us whole. But what we become from these moments, the human you become, the man you become, the woman you become from these moments 
is when God does his deepest work. Have you ever thought about it that sometimes looking back to that worst week or the worst season is also the thing about yourself that begin to grow, begin to flourish? That's when you got your backbone. That's when you got your grit. That's when you got your sympathy. That's when you got your deep care and compassion. Where did you learn that from? Why are you so friendly? Because you experienced non-friendliness. Where did you receive such deep compassion? I was hurt so deep. When did you receive so much empathy when I received none? If you would take a moment and look back to the dark nights of your soul, if you were honest, that's what made you. Mountaintops don't make us, valleys do. Valleys make us, mountains expose who you are. Money and life, those things don't make you, they expose who you are. Valleys, it's the crucibles, it's the moment when life has swallowed you whole. It's what happens inside you that you might not want it in this moment, but five years from now, you're like, I didn't want that situation. I didn't want that relationship to go that way. I didn't want our business to go that way. But that's what made me who I am. That is what formed me. That is what shaped me in where? Not the mountain, in the belly of the fish. I wonder at the moments of our life in the belly of the fish, we're exactly where God wants us. So far in this story, where's the safest place Jonah has been? The belly of the fish. Not on the boat, not in the storm, not running. Jonah thinks this is the worst day of his life and God is like, I finally have you. All to myself. And now you can't escape me. There's nowhere else for you to go. There's no one else in the belly of fish. You have no one else to talk to but me. You have no one else to relate to but me. See, many of you thought that God was trying to make you lonely, though he's trying to make you isolated. That's not the same. He was trying to get voices out of your life, people out of your life, so that it's just you and him. And what begins to happen? Hey, God, I would like to talk now because I've ran out of people to talk to. And there's no one else in this belly of the fish with me, so I, I think I want to talk to you. And God's like, finally. Now listen, you can, you can try all you want to skip these moments but you'll be in one eventually. And it's the moment that none of us want, that oftentimes when you look back, it's the place where God does his deepest work in every one of us. I've been through, me and my wife have been through over the last 12 years that we've been married, 13 years dating and flirting on AIM. <laughs> Seven to 10 massive life-altering moments. Massive ones. I'm sure you have too. I would never want to replay those 10 moments of my life. Ever. But I would also never exchange the person I became because of those moments. I would never choose them, but I'd also never replace them. And I'm not saying God is the author and hurling horrible things at you. That is not what I'm saying. 
What I am saying is God will use it. God will take it and go, oh, I'm going to shape you into the girl or the man or the wife or the husband or the father or the friend you only dreamed of, but now I'm gonna use this situation to make you, to form you into what? Who I've always called you to be. He calls out, I love this verse. Sorry, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Now we cannot discover our failure to keep God's law except trying our very hardest and then failing. Unless we really try, whatever we say, there will always be in the back of our minds the idea that if we try harder next time, we shall succeed in being completely good. Thus, in one sense, the road back to God is a road of moral effort, of trying harder and harder and harder. But in another sense, it is not trying that is ever going to bring us home. All this leads us to the vital moment at which you turn to God and say, you must do this because I can't. Do you know what the belly of the fish is? I'm done. I quit. I can't do this. I can't get out. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of this moment. I, it's the white flag of your soul. It's the white flag of your mind. It's the white flag of God, I, I'm done. Every single one of us at some moment are gonna have a C.S. Lewis says, I'm done, I quit. And this is the moment in what? The belly of the fish. Let's keep going, we've read one verse. <laughs> he finally cries out, God finally has him, and look what he says. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly. Oh, we're gonna get real nerdy. Stay with me. Circle that word belly, underline it, put a little note in your head. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. He gets thrown off, flailing about in the sea, swallowed by a fish, the fish is going down. We'll see in a moment. He has no other option, so he starts crying out to God finally. And look what he says. I called out to the Lord, and he heard my voice. What's very interesting, he makes his two things. Out of my distress, I called. Out of the belly of Sheol. Where did he call out from? His distress. Leave us wait to get back to dry land to call. Okay, I know, I know I need God. I know I can't do this on my own. Let me just get back to land. Let me just get out of this scenario. Let me just fix what I did. Let me just get some air back in my lungs. Let me just get my feet back on some dry ground. And then once my life is kind of put back together, I'm gonna call out to the Lord. He does not wait till dry ground. He doesn't wait till life is looking up and up. He calls out to God right where he is. Let me just talk to you this morning. If I got, okay, more, a couple more Sundays, I'm gonna reach out to God. Don't wait any more Sundays. 
okay, my life's getting better. Once I get back to dry ground, once I fix these few things, once I get rid of that addiction, once I fix that issue, once I kind of get my head above water, once my life is kind of put back together, I'm gonna reach out to God. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another moment. Right in the middle, right in the moment of your distress, we don't call from God from dry ground. We call from God from the belly, from the dark moments, from the invisible moments, from the worst moments. Don't wait. Oh my God, I'll call out once I, oh no, right now. He's waiting for you to call out right now, in the middle, in the darkness, in the mess. You don't clean yourself and then come to God. You come dirty. You come broken. You come addicted. You come angry. You come abused. You come lost. You come isolated. You come as you are. Right in the middle of your mess, God is waiting for you to call out from where? The belly of the fish. Why? Because it's not over. I know the moment right now seems like this is it. You ever said that to yourself? This is it. In this moment, I'm not getting out. There's no way out of this this time. I got out of a few bellies a couple years ago. I got out of a few moments 10 years ago, but I'm not getting out of this one. It's not over. You can invite God in. But how? Crying out. Lord, I'm, I'm waving the flag. I need you to help right now. Why? Because just like Jonah, there are many scenarios we got ourselves in that we can't get ourselves out. Who got himself put there? Jonah. Who can't get himself out now? Jonah. And how many of us can relate? There's been some situations I've got myself in but I could not get myself out. And when that happens, that's when God, that is when God is waiting for you to go, I, I need you now. I need you to come into my situation. I need you to come into my distress. I need you to come into the belly of Sheol and rescue me. Now, this is where we get real nerdy for a moment. If you go back to Jonah chapter one, the two times that used the word fish, there's only three times in the entire book Three times the word fish is used, and we think the entire book is about Jonah and the fish. Three times, only three words are about the fish. The first two words in the Hebrew are male tense. He. When he talks about the fish, it's he swallowed me. Do you notice when I told you to circle in verse two, it says that now that I'm in my distress, he me out of the belly of Sheol. He's now switched his verbiage to talking about the fish as a female. In Hebrew, there is male tense and female tense. Almost like pronouns, but not really. And when you read a certain Hebrew word, you can tell based off the end of the word if it's a male tense or a female tense. In chapter one, he talked about the fish like it was a male. In chapter two, he talks about like it's a female. Did the fish go through a transition? No. Is this a grammatical error? No. What scholars say is now Jonah is saying, I'm dead, and this is my new birthplace. 
this is the moment when my life gets born again. Out of this belly, out of this moment, I will rise again. He's talking about this moment as what? I just died, my, that life is over. Old Jonah just died. Now out of this belly, out of this womb, it's literally the Hebrew word for womb. Out of this moment, I'm gonna be birthed again. It's almost like what Jesus says in John 3, whoever comes to me must be born again. What is Jonah saying? This is my born again moment. And many of us don't need a new life. We need to die. We don't need a new day. We don't need a new start. We don't need a new week. We don't need a new relationship. What we need to do is die to our old ways, to our old self, and say, God, this moment is not what I chose. This moment is not what I would ever want, but let this moment be a rebirthing for me. Let this moment be a restart for me. Let this moment be a born again. Let me come out of the womb. Let me start over. What is Jonah saying? He's already prophesying. When I get out of here, I'm gonna be new. When I get out of here, I'm gonna start over. When I get out of here, I'm gonna be born again. Out of, he literally is using a female term, out of this belly, out of this womb, I will be born again. I will have a new birth, which is what? Salvation. Friend, just to remind you, you don't go from being a bad person to a good person. That is not the gospel. You are not a good person now. You were not bad, now you're good. You were dead. And now you're alive. The gospel is admitting your death. The gospel is admitting you are over. The gospel is admitting you have no more air in your lungs. And I need what? To be born again. But this moment doesn't happen until you admit you're dead. You can't get CPR until you admit you're not breathing. I had to do like lifeguard training stuff for like a camp I served at when I was like younger. One of the first things like they train you about lifeguard stuff is to get the person drowning to stop trying to save themselves as soon as possible. Because if they're also trying to save themselves while you're trying to save them, that's when people drown because you can't get them to stop. Calm. I will do the saving. Just lay there. Many of us, that's our life with Jesus as well. You're trying to save you with you with Jesus. You can't do that. You're dead. I've never seen a dead person resuscitate themselves. And if you have, we need to talk afterward. You're dead. It's over. What is Jonah saying? I, this is it for me. My life is over. My old life is dead. And when I get out, I'm going to be reborn. I'm going to be rebirthed. Out of this womb comes new life. Let me just submit this to you. In whatever belly you have found yourself in, good news, new life is coming from this. New birth is coming from this. New vision is coming from this. New perspective is coming from this. New relationships are coming from this. New ideas are coming from this. A new you is coming from this. Because God is not trying to give you a new life. Sorry, he's not trying to give you a better life. He's trying to give you a new life. And what comes from these moments is what? A rebirthing. This is when salvation, knowing you're dead, knowing that God steps in. 
It says, I, you heard me. From where? Even deep down here, you heard me. I cried out and you heard me. I want to submit this to many of you that have been crying out, God hears you. Even from the depth of Sheol, the depth of darkness that you're in, he hears you. He goes, I want this to be what? A rebirthing, a renewal for my life. Verse three, let's keep going. This is, I wish I had more time. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and then the floods surrounding me and all your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in on me and take to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weed, seaweed is wrapped around my head. And I see the roots of the mountains. You see the, the language. They're like, I'm going down. I see the, the bottom of the sea. Seaweed is wrapped around my head. The waters engulfed around me. But I want you to catch one phrase that he said. That if I had 40 minutes, we'd talk about this one sentence. Verse three, look what he says. For you cast me into the sea. Wait a minute. Who cast Jonah into the sea? It's not a trick question. The sailors. But here he says, you cast me. Does he have memory lapse? Is the oxygen leaving the whale's stomach and he's starting to lose consciousness? What? what? No, what is Jonah saying? I know they did it, but I know it was you. What begins to happen in the belly of the fish is you begin to see God's hand in others' actions. Oh, no, I know they did it, but I know it was you that used that. No, I know they said that, but it was you that was talking to me. I know they did that, but I know it was you that was using that to make me into the person you want me to be. I know they did that, but I saw your hand. I know they said that, but I saw your will. You, there's something that happens in the dark night of your soul that you begin to think back and go, oh, I know it was them, but I see him. You begin to see God's hand in others' actions. This is the extreme and the height of God's sovereignty that though they did it, God's gonna use it because that's what he wanted. He's gonna use it in a certain way to make you, to create you. And there's been times, I'm sure in your life, and I know there's been times in mine that I look back and I go, I know that was God. I know God was using that. I see God's hand in it. I see God's will in it. I see how that was turned. I know they made that decision, but I saw God's hand the entire time. It takes a mature person to take the dark night of your soul and go, I know they did it, but I see God's fingerprints all over it. I see God's workmanship all over it. Well, we did that. No, no, no. God did that. It's almost like in, in Genesis chapter 45, when Joseph, do you remember Joseph who gets sold into slavery by his brothers? And you think you and your siblings have a toxic relationship? Have you been sold into slavery lately? His brothers sell him into slavery. He goes into prison, not once, but twice, falsely accused, up, down, up, down, finally becomes second in charge to Pharaoh's land. His brothers come back. They find out Joseph, who he is, and they go, oh my God, we're so sorry we did this to you. He goes, oh no, you didn't do this to me. God sent me here. 
This was not your guys' plan. This was God's plan all along. And then he pins the most challenging sentence for what you meant for evil. God meant for good. How can you look at being sold into slavery, up, down, up, down, lied about? How do you go through and then go, I saw God. I saw God's hand all over it. I saw God's will all over it. I saw God's, his DNA. He was there. I saw his fingerprints. Why? Because Jonah goes, you threw me overboard. It was not the sailors. But it takes a mature believer. It takes special eyes. It takes special vision to see God in the midst of your pain. It wasn't them. God's work, God's hand, God's will, God's sovereignty was in the midst of that. But what? It's 2020 vision, isn't it? To look back and go, oh, I see him. I saw how he was working. You cast me into the deep. One thing that begins to happen with these dark nights of the soul moment is you receive a new language. You receive new vision. You receive new perspective. It's almost like the people that like you talk to or around that have never really been through anything like deep and wide and they judge everybody else how they went through their deep thing. And then you see that person five years later who has actually now been through something incredibly painful and they come back and go, hey, I'm sorry for what I said back then. I had no idea divorce was like this. I thought oh, you should just suck it up and figure it out and make better decisions. I thought, it, I had no idea. Like when my dad got cancer and almost died multiple times, I always prayed for people that their family members had cancer with full faith, with full faith. But once my dad went through cancer, now I don't just have full faith, I have full perspective. And now I have language, I have words to what? Identify to people's pain. When your friends lose babies and your friends die and you go through these situations, what? It doesn't just give you more faith, it gives you more language. It gives you more perspective. It what? Gives you more compassion. And what? It, pain is not neutral. You will change. There's no neutrality in pain. You will change. Either you get softer or harder. And you get to choose how the sun molds the clay. And he goes, I see, I see, I, that was you. You threw me into the depths. That was you all along. And look at verse seven. We're, we're gonna wrap up here. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Let's pause here. If you were here last week and we just ended chapter one and that was the end of the book, 
Would that be a happy ending? No. So thank God our life is a book, not just a chapter. If all you had was Jonah chapter one, it'd be like some Greek mythology play, some Shakespearean play. A man came, the gods called out to him, he said no, he ran away, the sailors threw him over, he disobeyed, and a huge fish swallowed him up, and that's the end of the play. If that was the end, if Jonah 1 was, the, was it, it would end sad, discouraged, like a warning. But luckily Jonah chapter 2 comes after Jonah chapter 1. Luckily, Jonah, the book of Jonah is not chapter 1. There's chapter two and chapter three and chapter four. And let me just tell you right now, stop making decisions like the last chapter is the end of your book. There are more chapters to come. There are more moments to come. And by the way, stop judging someone's book if you've only read one chapter. Just because you ended up on chapter seven, you have no idea what happened chapter one, chapter two, chapter five, chapter six. And you're making total judgment off her based off the chapter you walked in on. Well, guess what? That's not her entire book. There's chapters before, and guess what? There's gonna be chapters after. Because what happens, he gets swallowed, and what you would think it's over. If you ended Jonah chapter one, well, that's it. Sucks for Jonah. Disobeying gets swallowed. I guess that's God. It's over. No, no, chapter one ends with the swallowing. Chapter two ends up with the vomiting. The end of chapter one, it's over! Wow, sucks for Jonah. End of chapter two, he's alive! <laughs> Do you see how the stories end? Do you see how the chapters end? Because just because the last chapter ended that way does not mean this chapter will end that way. Stop self-sabotaging the current chapter because you think every chapter is going to end the way the last chapter ended. It's a new chapter. It's a new day. It's a new moment. The last chapter ended with you getting swallowed and it being over. But this chapter ends with hope. The last chapter ended with disappointment. This chapter ends with He's alive? At what? I get a second chance at life? I get to start over? I thought I was done. I thought I was gonna die. I thought this was it for me, and yet, I'm on land again. I'm alive. Why? This is where I wanna end, and I wish I had another 40 minutes. Verse 10, the saving, the hope, right? doesn't happen unless you call out in verse one. Why? Because God will not step in where he's not invited. Why does this happen? Because he goes, I'm done. I quit. I need you. Come step in. I invite you. We don't get the rebirthing. We don't get the new hope. We don't get the, the rebirthing of life unless we invert back in Chapter two, verse one, I called out to the Lord. It starts with you calling out and then God will do the rest. It starts with you inviting him in and let God do the rest. 
It starts with you humbling yourself and say, God, I need you, and he'll do the rest. Why? Because I love this quote by my favorite author of all time. St. Augustine says this, he who created us without our help will not save us without our consent. He who made us without our help will not save us without our consent. Which is what? Him saying, I'm waiting for you to call out. I'm waiting for you to reach out to me. I'm waiting for you to cry out. And what? He gets thrown back on land. And what happens? It's almost like he gets a second chance at life. Which is what? Salvation. When your old life is gone and you get a second chance at life. You get a second chance at being a human, a true human. You get a second chance at that marriage and those friends and money. What, what is salvation? It's a rebirthing and a second chance. And I end here. Don't you, don't you see chapter two, who it's really about? A man goes to the depths of the earth for three days and three nights and he gets reborn. Oh, wait a minute, this story isn't just about you, it's about Jesus, for he is the ultimate Jonah. He's, he didn't just go into the belly of the fish, he went to the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, and he came out as the reborn, the rebirthing, the restarting, and now because of the true Jonah, now because of the ultimate Jonah, we get a rebirthing now, we get a restart now. Now we don't have to go to the belly of the earth because Jonah already did. We don't have to go to the belly of the sea because Jonah already did. The story's not just about you, it's about Jesus, he's the ultimate. Ultimate Jonah that went to the earth for three days and three nights and what? Was born again, relived again. Now because of his rebirth, we now get to what? Have a rebirth, have a start over. But what? It all starts with repentance. It all starts with, I'm done. I tap, I quit. It's like, I'm, I'm in charge of my life. How's that going? Super great. How about tomorrow? No. Back to my C.S. Lewis quote. There comes a moment where I, I quit. I can't. God, you must. If we want the verse 10, the rebirthing, the vomiting, the restarting back on land, I start with verse one going, I call out. I submit. I need you. I invite you into my distress. And if you do that, Watch the ending of this chapter not be the same as the ending of last chapter. Hey, last chapter happened. Jonah 1 happened to you. What a horrible season and chapter you went through. But guess what? Chapter 2 is coming. A new chapter is coming. A new day is coming. And if you want this chapter to end like, not like the last one, you have to start different. Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 starts with him running. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1 starts with him calling. Jonah chapter one, the end, it starts with the swallowing. Jonah chapter two, the end, it starts with the vomiting out. Do you see how if you start somewhere, it dictates where you go? Jonah one, he ran. Jonah two, I need you. I want you. So today what we're gonna do, go back in, this, uh, uh, back in time of worship and sing and, 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 and lift our voice and, and, and soul, what we're gonna call out. And some of you right now, you feel like you're in the belly of the fish. What a great day to call out. 
You feel like your life is over right now? What a great day to call out. You feel like this scenario has swallowed you whole? What a great day to call out. You don't know your way out? What a great day to call out. If our ministry has been a blessing to you at all, whether through the podcast, online, or through socials, would you consider partnering with us financially to help us continue blessing people and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus? If you'd like to do so, you can go online to rosechurch.org give. Thank you so much for partnering with us and helping us continue to do what God has put in our hearts here in Portland.